0: Dram karnebhi srinuyama deva Bhadram paśye mākṣabhīrya jatrāha Sthirai rangai stuṣya vāgam sastanubhihi Vyase ma deva hita yadāyuhu Swastina indro vridha śrāvāha Swastina pūṣa viṣvavidāha Swastina stārkṣo vīdhā swasti no dadhato om shanti shanti shantihi om O oh gods may we hear auspicious words with our ears. While engaged in sacrifices, may we see auspicious things with our eyes. While praising the gods with steady limbs, may we enjoy a life that is beneficial to the gods. May Indra of ancient fame be auspicious to us. May the all-knowing Pusha, God of the earth, be propitious to us. May Garuda, the destroyer of evil, be well disposed towards us. May Brihaspati ensure our welfare. Om peace, peace, peace. So, we have been studying the Mundakopanishad and we were on first chapter, second section, twelfth mantra, which we did last time in detail. Twelfth mantra was Parikshalokan Karmachitan Brahmano Nirveda Mayan Nastyakrita Kritena Tadvigyan Arthamsa Gurumeva Bhigacchet Samipani Shrotriam Brahmanishtam. So this tells us the beginning of spiritual life, the turn towards genuine spirituality. And the second thing it tells us is um, some of the qualifications of the student. And the third thing it tells us, the qualifications of the teacher, who is a true teacher. So, um, the spiritual seeker examines this world, pariksha Lokan, basically examines you examine your own life. And um, what is this life? What is this world which we are examining? Karma chitan, That which is produced. That which is uh, born of cause and effect. You do something and you get some results. And then um, what is the result of this uh, conclusion? What is the result of this examination? Nirveda Ayat. Nirvedam means Vairagya. Dispassion comes for worldliness. Why? The infinite, that which is beyond causality, cannot be uh, a product of causality. That sounds very abstract. What it means is, this limitless, deep satisfaction, fulfillment, which we all want. Notice, we all want it instinctively. We cannot question that. You can't ask a person, why do you want to be happy? You can't ask a person, why don't you want to be miserable? That's axiomatic. All of us seek, all living beings, not just human beings, all living beings instinctively, um, uncompromisingly, seek to overcome suffering and seek to uh, get lasting, deep fulfillment. So that one, you cannot get through the, these this life that we have, which is born of karma. It cannot be produced. Whatever is produced through karma, is limited, is finite. It will have a beginning and an end, no matter how good, but also no matter how awful. No matter how sinful, the bad effects of sinful karma are again limited. No matter how wonderful, how good, the good effects of good karma are again limited. At the end of it, we are back to square one again. We are back to this uh, existence. So, the infinite cannot be attained to the finite. That might sound like a no-brainer, but we don't learn that lesson until it takes a long, long time, lifetimes of struggle to begin to see that this world will not give us what we are looking for. Then what do you do? Is there any way out at all? Spiritual life says there is a way out. All spirituality. Vedanta, most clearly, it says there is a solution to this problem. Limitless satisfaction, deep, profound satisfaction, unshakable fulfillment is possible and transcendence of suffering in a deep way, in a permanent way is possible. How? By the higher knowledge. Remember in the language of this Mundakopanishad, knowledge is of two kinds, the lower knowledge and the higher knowledge. That higher knowledge, that vijyanatam, in order to learn that higher knowledge, in order to get that spiritual knowledge, you must go to a teacher. Don't try to go to the library by yourself. You may explore but for enlightenment, go to the teacher, the same teaching, but it must come from a spiritual master. And you should do, do so. There is a prescribed way of approaching the teacher, and the qualifications of the teacher are mentioned. Uh, last time we discussed this Shrotriya, Akamahata, Brahmanishta. Must be the master of the spiritual tradition, must be a master of Vedanta. Otherwise, what will that person teach? Second, must be um, not uh, destroyed, damaged must not be, um, you know, afflicted by desire, Akamahata. That person must not have anything uh, uh, to gain from you, you know, like money or power or something over which that person wants nothing. The person, the guru should be someone who is teaching only out of compassion, only out of um, the desire for the welfare of the student that the student also might attain to enlightenment. That's it. So, akamahata. Um not afflicted by desire the teacher should not be afflicted by desire and Brahmanishtam should be centered in Brahman so the, clearly the life should be it should be a deeply spiritual life should, uh, so not a part-time operator. So this person whom we are going to, whether householder or monk it, when you hear Brahmanishtam centered in in Brahman one often thinks it has to be a monk, But remember, all of these rishis, almost all of them were householders also. So it is an internal uh, attitude. Men, women, um, householders, monks, whatever it is, brahmanishtam, that must be there. The life must be about spirituality. um, Technically, the person must be established in this brahman awareness or brahman realization and must be centered there in life. So this is it. This is what we did last time. Now, the last verse, last mantra of this section uh, deals with the qualifications of the student and uh, the duties of the teacher. What will the teacher do when the qualified student arrives? So, the qualifications of the student, um, that's very important. Let us read the mantra and I'll read the translation also tasmai vidwan upasannaya samyak prashanta cittaya shamanvitaya yena aksharam purusham veda satyam provacyatam tattvato brahmavidyam to him who has approached duly whose heart is calm and whose outer organs are under control that man of enlightenment should adequately impart that knowledge of Brahman, by which one realizes the true and imperishable Purusha. So There is a lot to parse here. Tasmaisa Vidvan Samyak So the Vidwan here is the master, the, Brahm, the Brahmagya, the one who has realized Brahman, to the one who has approached duly, who has approached duly the person who is seeking knowledge. And um, notice, approach duly means that uh, it shows Vedanta is not really a missionary religion. You don't go around advertising, don't go around converting, don't go around pushing people to um, accept this teaching. Um, uh, You know, I've seen, especially in this country, now more so here than in Europe, there are these big churches which pour in enormous amounts of um, you know, money and uh, human effort training people. One of the big jobs is to send people out to convert others. Now, that is a very strange kind of distortion of spirituality. I've seen in some well known big churches, young uh, kids, you know, 19, 20, the first thing they don't they do, they know the Bible halfway and then they are sent out on missions. It's a good way of indoctrinating people because when you are sent out to, um, you know, Teach your faith to others. You would take it seriously. You'll try to think about it, and but it's not a good idea. Uh, you know, it damages one's spiritual life. It um, it makes it extroverts the mind. It creates disturbance and dislike for the other um, in your own mind, and creates lot of enmity and um, um, you know uh, anger and unhappiness in other communities and so on. Whereas Vedanta um, like almost all the ancient Indian spiritual teachings is not at all missionary. In fact, it was just the opposite. Too much the opposite. You would have to seek it out. And when you do seek out this knowledge, the teacher will put multiple obstacles in your path. And then you overcome those obstacles and show your interest in that knowledge, then the teacher deigns to teach us. So, Prasha, um, if the qualified student comes, upasanyaya means the student comes and asks. Like this, student has already come and asked. Notice, this student is also a householder, Shaunaka, the person who has come, but he's qualified obviously because the teacher is teaching him. Now, what are these qualities? We will take a look first. All right, this is an important subject. Every Vedanta text, the later texts. Prakarana Granthas introductory texts, you will see almost all of them. They will start with something called fourfold qualifications. Fourfold qualifications. Sadhana 4 Fourfold qualifications of spiritual practice. These are qualifications we have to develop or generate to make our spiritual practice effective. So, what are these fourfold qualifications? We all know about it. We, I will quickly run through them now and then come back to the mantra. The fourfold qualifications are Viveka, discernment between the eternal and the non-eternal. Second, Vairagya, dispassion for the non-eternal. Third, um, Shamadi Shatsampati, the sixfold treasure. So sixfold treasure. Sixfold treasure are basically disciplines. What are the disciplines? Six disciplines. One is Shama, quietitude of mind, focusing the mind. Yeah, I mean quietening the mind, turning it inwards. Dhamma, controlling the sense organs and motor organs. Then uh, Titiksha, um, withstanding, um, bearing with troubles in this world, which will try to take us away from our spiritual practice, especially from Vedantic inquiry. Then fourth, Samadhana, Uparati. Uparati means withdrawal from engagement with the world. You need to make time and energy and space for yourself, for spiritual practice. Then next, samadhana, concentration. Once you have withdrawn, once the mind and senses are controlled, now you must use that time and energy for focusing on your spiritual quest. That samadhana, settling down on your spiritual quest. Then um, sixth is uh, shraddha, a deep abiding faith in the, Upanishads and other Vedantic texts and the teacher in the sense that what these are saying is true. I don't know it yet. Let me try to understand. Here's a delicate thing. It's not faith in the sense of blind belief. I say so, therefore you have to believe me and that's the end of it. No. It's not even in the faith in the sense of uh, you believe me now and then you do these practices and then you will realize later on. No. It is in the path of knowledge, the meaning of faith is Take it on faith that there is something deep, meaningful, and useful here. And with that understanding, you ask your questions. There might be another kind of questioning that uh, um, I have no faith in the teacher or the texts. And therefore, I'm here to question everything you say in the name of free thinking. That way, you will not get very far at all. So, faith in order to understand. Not in order to believe. And then the fourth. So these were the six disciplines. And the fourth of the fourfold qualifications is Mumukshutvam, intense desire for freedom. We'll take a quick look, look at each one, what each one is. I will use the classic uh, shang, uh, classic work of introduction to Vedanta, Vivek Chudamani. Vivek Churamani, the crest jewel of discrimination, the crest jewel of discernment, written by Adi Shankaracharya. So there he uh, takes up each of these qualifications. These are, remember, these are not, quali- we don't should not feel bad, oh, I don't have these qualifications and therefore I cannot pursue Vedanta. No, we all have them. Just by the fact that you have turned up here, we all have them. But these have to be pushed up to a level of excellence. Then only it will work. So, from Vivek Chodamani, this is the translation by Swami Madhavanandaji. I will read out the Sanskrit original and then um, read out the English translation and make some comments on each one of the fourfold qualifications. First, um, Viveka. In um, Vedantic texts, if you have, remember, if you have studied Vedanta Sara, it's always called Nitya Nityavastu Viveka, the discernment between the eternal and the non eternal, discrimination between the eternal and non eternal how does uh, shankara define it brahma satyam jagat mithya soyam nitya nitya viveka a firm conviction of the mind to the effect that brahman is real and the universe is unreal is designated as discrimination or discernment viveka between the real and the unreal notice straight away Shankara has changed it. There is a dramatic change here. The original term was the, uh, the discernment between the eternal and non-eternal. So what is this uh, original meaning? Viveka. Viveka literally means to see the difference. Something is coming to you together. Life is coming to you as a mixture. Here is the world and spiritual life also is possible. All of it together. But now you have to differentiate. You have to, you have to separate the right from the wrong. Good from the bad. That's where wisdom comes in. Sri Ramakrishna gave great em- emphasis on this. He said sand and sugar are mixed up. But the ant can separate them. <laughs> and then he says water and milk are mixed up. The swan can separate them. Kshira nira this And then the third example he gave. There is really no way of translating it. It's, it's very Bengali. I'll tell you the Bengali original and try to translate. Golmale malache. Golti malti lo. So the word for confusion, problem, trouble in Bengali, Hindi, many Indian especially North Indian languages, is golmal. Now Sri Ramakrishna was a master at wordplay. So what he did with the golmal means, uh, he, he separated the two words, gol and mal. Mal means substance. Real, it's something that is worthwhile. So in the word goal Gol goal simply means confusion, circle, going round in circles, whatever it is. Uh, so separate the mal from the goal. Leave the goal and take the mal. That's what he means. Uh, it doesn't work too well in English at all. Golmale mal Golti Malti Law. Anyway, his point was Viveka. This where the name Vivekananda comes from. So it's that important, Viveka. Now, notice here we are supposed to understand from the teacher, from religion, from books that some eternal reality is there and everything in the world, all of this life, my own life and this world, everything, people, um, objects, enjoyments, achievements, everything is temporary and there is one eternal reality. So this distinction between the eternal and non-eternal is called Viveka. But what Shankaracharya has done here is Brahma satyam jagat instead of saying Brahman is eternal and the world is transitory, he says Brahman is real and the world is an appearance. See Advaita Vedanta here. And one of the Shankaracharyas has commented here, he has pointed out why this was done. The reason it is done is this temporary joys Temporary pleasures are also what people can seek. The vast majority of educated thinking people. We know the pleasures that we seek in the world. Uh, it, it could be uh, sweet things to eat. It could be a va- nice vacation. It could be gadgets. All of those are temporary, we understand. But still, that does not stop us from enjoying it. So does not does not stop us from pursuing it and spending our lives in it. Now... Shankaracharya's insight is although people will pursue transitory pleasures, impermanent things, and they consider that's fine. That does not dissuade them from pursuing these things and wasting their life on the pursuit of impermanent things. But nobody, nobody will pursue what they consider to be false. That Shankaracharya who, Shankaracharya means one of the recent Shankaracharya's who has commented on Vivek Chodamani. Chandra Shekharananda Saraswati so he has uh, said that those who want kingdoms those who are out for say for example political office they want to be president or something like that but they will not want they will not pursue a dream kingdom so if you say that yes you will become the president but only in your dreams then I am not interested so what is not real no matter how attractive Nobody pursues that. Nobody puts forth any effort. You may go to a movie and enjoy it because you know it to be fiction, but you will not put any effort into trying to meet those characters in the fiction, go to the places shown in the fiction. Uh, you know, you will not spend any, any... You will not try and you will not waste any time over it also. You will not think twice about it. For you, the movie is aesthetic enjoyment. That's all. You don't take it seriously. So... If the world is an appearance, so the teaching of the appearance nature of the world, Jagat Mithyatva, has two purposes in Advaita Vedanta. First purpose is this, what I have told you. If you take the world to be an appearance, if you understand, not just take, understand the world to be an appearance, then the pull towards the world disappears. You, don't come, you will not spend time and energy for that. And if you understand Brahman to be real, you would want to discover the real and be centered in that. Who wants to be deluded? Who wants to live in a lie? No matter whatever is, however it, nice it is, if you once tell me it's a lie, then the whole thing becomes poisoned for me. People who are with you, suppose if they say that um, uh, I can be very nice to you, but I will tell you lies all the time. I will not tell you the truth. Nobody will accept. Even although we may be afraid, we may not like the bitter truth, but we would want that people around me should tell us the truth. So, we do not want to live in a world of lies. Therefore, this world of appearance, the first thing it will do is, it will create dispassion. The next one, vairagya, it will come from that appearance. The true dispassion will come for the world. The second deep reason for the teaching of the falsity of the world, there is a very deep reason, is this. Though it is not relevant here, but let me, since I have mentioned two reasons, two benefits of the teaching of the world falsity, Jagat Mithyatva, One is, it will develop vairagya, dispassion, immediately. Second one is, it's rather subtle but very powerful. In Advaita Vedanta, you have to realize that you are Brahman. Now the question is, where is Brahman? What is Brahman? When will I find Brahman? Now think about the the case of the snake rope or the mirage water. We are told that there is no snake. It is actually a rope. Now if you ask, where is the rope? See, you are seeing a snake. But now you are asking, oh, you are telling me it is not a snake. There is It is really a rope. Then where is that real, real rope? Where you are seeing the snake? The, where you are seeing the snake, that one actually is a rope. That is the meaning of the snake is false. Rope is true. If I told you that is a snake, okay, that is a snake, but there is a rope. Then you would not look for the rope there. The thing is you are seeing a snake. You're being asked to investigate that snake. You will discover that it's a rope. We are experiencing the world. We are being told that the world is false. Brahman is real. In that case, where is Brahman? Where is Brahman? Where you are seeing the world? Where you are seeing people? Where you are seeing good? Where you are seeing bad? Where you are seeing pleasure? Where you are seeing pain? Where you are seeing life? Where you are seeing death? There is Brahman. So, This teaching of the falsity of the world shows us directly. It is absolutely deeply connected to the practical Advaita. Practical Advaita means how do we practically realize I am Brahman. It will immediately make it living for you. People don't realize this. The deep implication of world falsity is that this world is Brahman. The implication of that. If the world were true in the sense that this is really a table and that's the end of it. It is really atoms and molecules, matter, and that's the end of it, nothing more. And there is some God, Brahman, Allah, something, somewhere else. Then it would not be a living reality for us, because this world is the living reality for us. What are we experiencing? We are experiencing the world. In this living reality, see, this is why Advaita becomes a living, immediate living teaching. Otherwise, it would become a matter of, of belief there is some god some heaven somewhere who knows i have to believe in it or yogic approach you uh, it is there but you have to do some very special practices then you learn some um, uh, special experiences then only that one you will get but advaita vedanta tells us right now what you are experiencing you are experiencing it wrongly in ignorance what you are what you think it is is false but you are in truth you are experiencing brahman So the movement will be from ignorance to truth, the correction of an error, correction of falsity to discover the truth. So that's the deeper meaning of teaching of world falsity. Two meanings, uh, two two purposes, two benefits of the teaching of world falsity. Um, One is it will develop vairagya, dispassion, which is the next point which will come. Second one is it directly points to the reality called Brahman. By telling you that what you are experiencing is an appearance. This ascertainment that this is true, that Brahman alone is real and the world is an appearance. How do I get this ascertainment? By having heard about it from, uh, you know, an approach to Vedanta. You may have read books or heard a talk or something like that before you actually start the study of Vedanta. It does not mean the realization Brahman is real and the world is false. If it was realization, then there would be no need to go any further. You already known it. It is an, it is a, a preliminary appreciation that uh, a clarity, that there is a reality and what you am experiencing is an appearance. So that much, that much is Viveka. That itself is called Viveka. Now let's go on to the next one, Vairagya. By the way, one secret here, interesting insight about these fourfold qualifications. They are causally linked. Causally linked means one leads to the other. So, Viveka leads to Vairagya. Viveka and Vairagya together boost or um, generate the sixfold. They they strengthen the sixfold discipline. And Viveka, Vairagya and the sixfold discipline together, they increase your mumukshutum intensity for freedom desire for god realization desire for enlightenment so they are causally linked you say so so what what benefit does that do to me here is the benefit our complaint will be when we study all this our complaint will be oh my vairagya is weak oh or i don't have that you know it's i really like vedanta but i don't have that intensity for enlightenment like the buddha had like vivekananda had let alone what ramakrishna had i had i have only a fraction of that I am interested, I want it, but not so intensely. Now, the uh, teaching here is, if you want to intensify any one of these fourfold qualifications, any one of them, don't fight the battle there. If you want to intensify your desire for liberation, don't try to boost your desire for liberation directly. Go back to its cause. What's the cause for the intensification of uh, desire for liberation? The sixfold discipline. But this, my disciplines are weak. My disciplines are weak. Then don't try to struggle and strengthen them. It will be a futile, uh, you know, you will make progress, but it will be very difficult, very hard work. Rather, the the intelligent way of strengthening your discipline, six-fold discipline, is to go back to their cause. What is the cause of the six-fold discipline? Vairagya. Strengthen the Vairagya, your six-fold discipline will become strong. But my Vairagya is not strong. I still, uh, you know, hanker after many things in the world. Then don't struggle with those desires. Go back to the Viveka, which will show you only God-realization, brahma Jnana, enlightenment is worthwhile. The rest are not worthwhile. So once you have that clarity, then your Vairagya will increase. Once Vairagya increases, six-fold discipline will be strong. A strong six-fold discipline, Viveka-Vairagya, Desire for enlightenment will become stronger and stronger. All right. So, what is Vairagya? Tad Vairagyam jihasaya darshan asravanadi bhihi dehadi brahma pariyante hyanitye bhogavastuni. What is Vairagya? Dispassion. Renunciation or dispassion is the desire to give up all transitory enjoyments ranging from an ordinary body to that of Brahma, the highest. Uh, God, post of God. God means not capital G, small g, the highest divine being. Most, maximum enjoyment. Yeah. Having known their defects from observation, instruction and so forth. Darshan or two ways it can be interpreted. One is, by looking at life, by hearing these teachings, my Vairagya is increased. By looking at life means, look at our own lives, most powerful teacher, and also look at the lives of people around me. Read about people's lives. Look at the lives of people around me. Then you begin to see what is the point of repeating these experiences. I see the one sadhu put, uh, put it this way Kaun, I'll tell you in Hindi and then translate aapko? Pandit bachayega. Raja bachayega aapko. who is going to save you? Will the rich person save you? Will the Will the scholars save you? Will the powerful man, the king save you? What will save you? Will knowledge save you? Will uh, Knowledge means secular knowledge. Will uh, wealth save you? Will um, uh, power save you? These are the ways in which we try to overcome unhappiness, save ourselves from trouble and achieve peace. No, none of them will. That is the examination of life shows us. None of them will. Then what will save us? This Vedanta Vidya. This knowledge of Vedanta, this this teaching, it will save us, the higher knowledge. So um, by seeing and hearing. This is one interpretation, Darshanasrabanadibi. Or another interpretation could be giving up the desire for getting pleasure through seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching. So the pleasure which we get through the senses, giving those up. In bodies ranging from our Human body up to divine bodies, up to the you know the existence of Brahma in the highest heaven, all of that, giving up the pursuit of trying to increase pleasure in these temporary limited ways. That is vairagya, dispassion. Now. Um, sixfold treasure. Now we have got Viveka and Vairagya, discernment and dispassion, sixfold treasure. What are the sixfold treasure? One. Shamaha, calmness of mind. The resting of the mind steadfastly on its goal, its Brahman, enlightenment. Having detached itself from the manifold sense objects, the whole group of sense objects, by continually observing the defects, is called Shama or calmness of mind. What is Shama? Calmness of mind. Mind, people are so restless, physically restless and mentally restless also. I remember our teacher, the first monastic master we had, when we would favor, I, we were reading this text actually, uh, Vivek Churamani. We used to read, uh, have a class early in the morning after breakfast actually, and sitting on the roof of the monastery on a mat. The Swami would teach us and we were novices. So one of the novices, a friend of mine was sitting there with the book and he was doing like this, you know, sort of moving or bouncing around a little bit. And the Swami scolded, I still remember, sharply. Stop that! Don't move! The physical stillness. But more important than that, mental stillness. Mental stillness. The beautiful story is there of the Buddha and Angulimala, the great dacoit Angulimala was there. Uh, who used to kill people and then collect their fingers, uh, little fingers and made a garland out of it. Everybody was terrified of that dacoit. And one day the Buddha was going through towards that forest and going through near that place, begging for his food and people around that place told him, don't go there. The terrible dacoit is there. He will kill you and you know collect your what is this called? Pinky, little finger. <laughs> so collect your little finger for his garland. But the Buddha calmly walked into the forest. And after some time, the decoy saw the lone monk and started following him to kill him. But no matter how much he tried to get near the Buddha, Buddha was still a little distance ahead of him. No matter how fast Angulimala walked, Buddha was a little distance ahead of him. No matter how fast Angulimala ran after the monk, Buddha was still a little distance ahead of him. So Angulimala shouted finally, Gasping for breath. Oh, monk, stop. Bhikshu, stop. So the Buddha turned around and said, I have stopped long ago, Angulimala. When will you stop? And that made such a tremendous effect on his mind that he broke down there. He sobbed and confessed his sins to the Buddha. And finally he reformed. And he became a spiritual seeker. So stopping, internally stop. Mostly we have a habit, the mind is a habit of chattering on. So difficult to stop the mind. I read a very interesting story about Ramana Maharshi. He is sitting quietly in that place in Tiruvannamalai where he used to sit. And few people were sitting around him. One of them said suddenly, what is the Maharshi thinking? And Ramana Maharshi did not say anything. The other person who was sitting there said, he is not thinking of anything. And Ramana Maharshi nodded with a smile. See, he's not thinking of anything. It doesn't mean like we are, you know, blank mind. What are you doing? Nothing. Not like that. He's entirely poised in his real nature as the self, as existence, consciousness, place, And the mind, what's the mind doing? Nothing. Mind is not even thinking, I am Brahman, I am Brahman. No, not even that. Mind is quiet, like an instrument. You have a pen. Just because you have a pen doesn't mean you have to keep writing your work is done, you put it down. Similarly, when there's nothing to, for the mind to do or think, the enlightened one can put down the mind, the senses, the body, and sit still, poised. In. The body, mind, senses are instruments for that person. If they want to think, they can think much better than us. So the mind has to stop chattering. What does this... Um, the resting of the mind steadfastly on its goal, focusing on the goal of enlightenment, of course, Ramana Maharshi, what I said, is a very high state. That's an enlightened person. We are not talking about that here. We are talking about us. So, let the mind think about spiritual things. What prevents the mind thinking of spiritual things? Shri, he says, vrat. The vishaya means objects of the world. Form, sound, smell, taste, touch and what they compose their people um, activities projects also memories expectations nice memories awful memories or nice things to look forward to or things to be scared of in the future all of those things disturb the mind continuously they shake the mind away from the goal stop it so lakshye, niyata avastha Centering the mind in your goal. That God realization is my goal. Brahma jnana is my goal. If the mind must think, think about that. Think about what I read. Think about the mantra you are repeating. Think about trying to understand what Vedanta is teaching. Think about that this project of enlightenment which we have taken up. Then the next one is Dhamaha. Control of the sense, senses. The organs of knowledge, organs of action. Ten organs five organs of knowledge and five organs of action. Visheya Paravatya Thapanam Swaswa Golake Uvayasam Indriyanam Sadamak Parikirtita Bhaiya Analambanam Vritter Esho Uparati Uttama next one. So, turning both kinds of sense organs away from the objects and place, placing them in their respective centers is called Dhamma or self-control. Um, eyes. I don't want to see, look around. Ears, I don't want to hear a hundred different things. Tongue, I don't want to spend time in being a foodie, enjoying this, that and the other thing. Be done with it, food. Whatever has, uh, then, then finished. Then, uh, so taste, smell like that. Um, and the uh, organs of action. Just because I have legs, doesn't mean I have to keep on walking around all the time, going here, going there. Just because I have hands, doesn't mean I have to keep on grabbing things. No. So, quieten. Just like that Swami scolded the, my friend, the novice, the brahmachari, who was sort of restless physically. Stop. The organs of action and organs of knowledge. Swaswa Golake, this is a yogic practice of withdrawing the organs to the centers. That's difficult. What we need to do is, Basically, withdraw from the five external organs of action and the five uh, organs of knowledge into the mind. That's enough. So that we are not active um, physically or through sensorily into the mind. Of course, if you are reading a book, you need to see. If you are hearing a lecture, you need to hear. Those things, that's alright. That's part of Dhamma. Then, uparati. Uparati is withdrawal. Uh, from the best kind of uparati is withdrawal. Self withdrawal consists in the mind function ceasing to be affected by external objects. Alambana means support. We seek support. You know, we the mind seeks a support. Support means something to rest on, something to think about. That's called a support. Something to hear, something to see. A monk uh, told me once after spending years, not years, several months in the Himalayas, in those days, um, many years ago, he had come down from the cottage and he was on his way to the railway station uh, back and then to come back to the city. On the way, to a little roadside hotel in India, they are called Dhavas, he sat down uh, to have a glass of water. And one gentleman was sitting next to him on the wooden bench and reading a Hindi newspaper, which was two days out of date. Two days old in <laughs> newspaper. And this Swami, he himself told me, I couldn't stop my eyes from going like this to take a look. What's the latest news in the newspaper? Then I suddenly realized what I was doing. You may say, that's silly. No, you try it. If you withdraw from worldly contact, if you don't see a human face, if you withdraw the uh, eyes from seeing what they are habituated to seeing, the mind from its daily diet of news and gossip and everything, the tongue from its um, daily dependence on people to talk to and talk with, withdraw it all. What will happen is a tremendous energy will be generated, but it's difficult to control. And Whatever the little, Sri Ramakrishna gave the example of holes in the field. So the farmer, um, you know, rice cultivation, it required the field to be irrigated with water. And the field needs to be blocked. Otherwise, if there are holes in the field, the water you have collected in the field will drain out. Similarly, holes in our senses means that sense which becomes powerful and uncontrollable, I have to see this, I have to taste that. So there are any number of stories of monks in the mountains and going to what is called a bhandara, a feast for monks. And then, first of all that, going there, the feast, and then coming and discussing how wonderful the laddu was and how wonderful the um, this uh, the, the sabji was. Now, what is this? This is the inability to retain that uh, a- a- energy. It's It's difficult. Believe me. <laughs> I have seen how difficult it is. So... When you are in the midst of this, especially in this modern age, with mobile phone and with people around, with the sound of the city in the background, with people all around you, with activities, you don't realize how much we depend. Alambana, the mind, it's a comfort for the mind. You may think the world is a a torture for you. You are being harassed by the world. And it is true, it's a torture. That's why when you withdraw from the world, go away to a retreat for one or two or three days, you will really like it you will say, oh, thank God, it's so nice. But after a week, after two weeks, after a month, after two months, after one year, after 20 years, it'll just be mm-hmm. a rock and howling winds and bitter cold and total loneliness and solitude. Most people don't um, think about that very few people can withstand that and remain focused in this without going mad if you um, there are people who lose their mental balance also become eccentric um, but remaining quite normal and steadily focused on spiritual practices without alamban external alambana. therefore bhakti easy alambana is given you want to see here are the beautiful forms of the lord Rupa Majashram, Sri Hari Rupa Majashram, Shankaracharya Sings. The, the beautiful forms of Krishna are there, of, of Shri Hari are there. You want to hear the names, so you want to hear. Hear bhajans, hear beautiful chanting. You want taste. Here is delicious prasad for you. <laughs> prasad is offered sacred food. You want fragrance, and there are the, the fragrant flowers and incense for you. Um, you want a display of puja, and so there is rituals for you. You want to do things. Physically, there is puja and rituals to be the work to be done in the temple and in the shrine. So, in all of these ways, what bhakti does is it provides alambana, support from the mind, but a kind of support which will not sweep you back into the world. It will keep us engaged with God. Anyway, so that is uparati. Then, titiksha, forbearance, very important quality. There is a famous verse from Vivek Churamani often quoted. Sahanam sarva apratikara purvakam bearing of all afflictions without caring to redress them. Being free at the same time from anxiety or lament on their score is called titiksha forbearance. Difficult, bearing afflictions, physical pain, heat, cold, difficult people, noise, harassment, bearing that, not reacting to it and not lamenting internally. So sometimes somebody is annoying you and you don't react. You're calm and quiet. But internally, I'll give that person such an earful uh, that they will they will never try to do this again. So that's that's internal reaction. An internal reaction should not be there also. Externally no reaction. Internally calm and poised also. And that's difficult. That takes some doing. It could be heat. It could be cold, it could be physical pain, it could be mental illness also, whatever. All kinds of problems. And there are different levels of this diksha. One is common sense. Common sense. I'll give you an important issue. Suppose physical illness, the most uh, most obvious problem. We all face to some extent, physical illness will come and go. What do you do about it? Some people become very, very uh, upset about physical illness. Often, healthy people become very upset, because they are generally healthy and they haven't faced it. <laughs> um, one of our senior monks, under whom I was for many years in a, in one of the ashrams, he used to say, it's the sickly ones who live for a long time. <laughs> because they are used to being sickly. Whereas uh, the healthy ones, they get, they get very scared once there is some disease or some kind of uh, serious health problem. Now, One attitude is to become too much concerned with it. This doctor, that doctor, this medicine, that medicine, this procedure, that procedure, uh, it is called, um, uh, what is it called? The um, too much interest in disease and uh, uh, illness, hypochondria. That's an extreme case, but some people are not hypochondriac, but still they become overly concerned. Um, What is the common sense way out? The common sense way out is, what is the problem? What is the treatment available, doctor available, whatever you can get for the time being. If you cannot get, withstand it. If you can get the treatment, go for the treatment. Even no treatment will instantaneously cure you. So, until it cures you, you take the treatment, the medicine and whatever the doctor suggests and bear with it until it's cured. Some things are chronic. So chronic pain. So you have to bear with it. You have to manage it as well as and don't don't put your mind to it. I read about this cancer patient, this lady, she has written a book called Rapt, R A P T Rapt, The Importance of Focus. And there she quotes Milton: the mind in its own place can make a heaven of hell and a hell of heaven. And she got cancer. And then she said, My life became hell. Chemotherapy insurance problems um, and the depression caused by the feeling that I might die soon. And then she said, I cannot live like this. This is too much. And she said that I made a conscious decision to focus on the positive side of my life. The treatment um, and the problems, I will deal with it only with a little bit of attention. Most of my attention, my energy, whatever is there, will go towards, she was a writer, so to, towards her writing. And then she writes that within a few weeks, uh, I could say honestly that my life after cancer is actually better than my life before cancer. Because I am consciously now concentrating on good things. So this is a common sense way. You take the treatment. Don't ignore it. Lack of common sense. I have seen the other extreme. Monks, you know, they tend to practice this titiksha. I have to forbear everything without complaint. And I, know, I knew this young novice. A very sincere. Uh, a brahmachari. he got a sharp pain in his knee. And he wouldn't take any treatment. What are you doing? Forbearing. He's in the class. He is, Suddenly he would extend his foot out of the uh, bench because he, because he can't sit still. It's, it's hurting too much. He's sitting in the meditation hall at, at, at in the evening or early in the morning. Suddenly he stretches his leg out in front. He can't uh, because he can't bear the pain. It's much easier to go in for physiotherapy. It will will become so bad, then you can't forbear anymore. And that will be also long ago, your spiritual practice, meditation, study, prayer, all have gone out of the window because the pain is so much. What's the point of it? The point of all of this is to focus on spiritual practice, not to withstand pain. So common sense. One Swami said very beautifully, his attitude towards medicine, doctors, pain, He said, whenever I have any physical problem, I take the recommended medicine, I consult the doctor, and that's it. I don't think about it anymore. I leave it to prarabdha karma. I have done something about it. I don't keep thinking, what's the next best treatment? Which other doctor? Second, third, fourth, fifth opinion? It might be good. But he said, I don't want to waste my time on that. Now, there are extremes that I also have to be truthful um, so there is for example, classic example of Swami Turiyanandaji. He was in the Himalayas foothills of the Himalayas in a place called Nangol and in a cottage he used to live, dressed only in rags, on a loincloth only because he wouldn't keep any money, any clothes. Um, and to beg also there was a, only a small village for which he had to cross a river. This is luckily a shallow river. He had to cross it and go for beg for food. So the, twice a day he would get totally wet when he would go across the river and come back. The result was, and the food was also very poor, the result was he felt sick, stomach problem. He bore with it as much as he could and then he decided, no, I should go to the village and then from there to the town to see a doctor because it's too much and he had become weak. So he started walking and then he suddenly thought, what am I doing? Narayana, the Lord, he is my Vaidya, God is my doctor and the water of the Ganga is my medicine. So he went and drank the Ganga water and prayed to the Lord and went back to his cottage. He did not go to the doctor. And luckily he was cured after some time. So that's one extreme. That is literally what this is this Titiksha is. For most of us, common sense middle way is better. Then there is Shadha, number six. Shastrasya Guru Vakyasya, Satya Buddhī Avadharanam acceptance by firm judgment as true of what of what the scriptures and the guru instructs is called by the sages Shraddha by means of which the reality is perceived so much importance is given to Shraddha faith belief in the teachings of the texts and the teacher but belief remember as I said in the path of knowledge belief is for understanding not just accepting it. Yeah, it's true. But I don't get it. Could you explain this? How is this true? I must get it. And by that kind of faith, reality is realized. You become enlightened by that. That is so important. Then, um, Samadhana. Yes. Next Samadhana. Sarvada sthapanam buddhe shuddhe, brahmani sarvada. Um, tat samadhana ityuktam lalanam. constant concentration on the ever-pure Brahman, an existence consciousness consciousness bliss. That is called focus. Self-settledness. Samadhana literally means settling on the self. Which self? Yourself. The real self. Not indulgence of the mind. What is indulgence of the mind? I read this book, then I read that book. I listen to a low YouTube talk, then I listen to another kind of YouTube talk. There's sort of scattering your Initially it might be good, but then one needs to focus. and come. I've seen one quality in all the great Swami's masters I've seen and I've read about also. One common quality among all of them. They would finish what they started. Even ordinary things. Take up one thing and finish it. So, flamadhana. Self-settled. The settledness in your goal. Then, intense desire for freedom. Intense desire for freedom. What is this intense desire for freedom? Yearning for freedom. It is the intense desire to free oneself by realizing one's true nature. So what is freedom? Realizing I am Brahman. Why is realizing I am Brahman freedom? Because Brahman is free. When you realize you are Brahman, you are free. Free of samsara. From all the bondages which are superimposed by ignorance. What are the bondages? From body onwards. Body to the ego. Body, prana, mind, intellect, including the ego. And the ignorance itself. All of them are bondages superimposed upon us by ignorance. Freedom from that will come through knowledge. Knowledge of what? I am Brahman. So now we have Viveka, discernment, Vairagya, dispassion, six treasures, Shama, quietude of mind, Dhamma, settling the five sense organs, five motor organs, quietening them, Titiksha, putting up with all sorts of trouble, don't be thrown off your spiritual struggle. Then um, fourth is um, Uparati, withdrawal from too much engagement with the world. Whatever needs to be done, do it. Neither seek nor avoid. Vivekananda's advice. Neither seek nor avoid. Then number uh, five is uh, samadhana, focus, um, concentration. And then six is shaddha. Space in the teachings, the texts and the teacher. And finally, the fourth qualification is intense desire to be free, to be enlightened. And remember, these four And their connection, they are connected causally. If you have any problem with one, don't struggle with it. Go back to the prior one. You might say, how do I get the first one, Viveka. Teachings are giving you that. All the teachings for Vedanta are increasing my viveka, My understanding of the reality of Brahman and the appearance nature of the world. The transitoriness of the world and the eternality of, of the spiritual goal. Good. Now let's go back to the mantra. Now you might say, Question would be: Where did all this come from? This neat fourfold classification, the fourfold uh, um, uh, spiritual practices, sadhan chatushtay, they have come from the Upanishads. But in none of the Upanishads you will find all four of them systematically in the same place. They are scattered across the Upanishads. They have been collected from the Upanishads, what is necessary for the student, and systematized in the way which I just said. The Shankara, it comes around 800 um, uh, AD, about 1200, 1300 years ago. But when we go back to the ancient texts, you find mantras like this, what we just read. What are the qualifications? He says, Prashanta Chittaya, Shaman Vitaya. So here we find Shama, Dama, Uparati, all of them we find here. So Prashanta um, Chittaya means Uparata Darpa Doshaya. Shankaracharya says, has withdrawn has quietened the mind and gotten rid of faults like ego, pride. Humility is a very very good help in learning things. If I am too proud, too settled in my ways of thinking, then you will ne- not learn anything at all. In Just in, in the ordinary world also, let alone um, Brahma enlightenment, the knowledge of Brahman. In the lower knowledge also, Aparavidya, one cannot learn if there is a lot of ego. The famous Zen story is there of the student who went to the Zen master and said, teach me Zen. And the teacher started teaching him. And whatever the teacher said, the student commented, oh yeah, I know that one. Yes, yes, that's in that particular book. I have read that. Oh yes, and do you know that there's there's more about it in this such and such book? Then the teacher finally sighed and you can see the teacher rolling his eyes. So now let us have the have tea, the Japanese tea ceremony. So the teacher started pouring tea into the student's cup, and it filled up. But the teacher kept on pouring, and the tea spilled out. And the student shouted, "Stop! Stop! What are you doing? The tea is overflowing." And the teacher said, "Precisely. Unless you empty your cup, how will you taste my tea? <laughs> so you have to empty your cup. That is humility." Prashant. Silence of the mind, quietness of the mind comes from humility. Then Shaman Vitaya, the next one. Shama means quietude of the mind again. And there Shankaracharya adds the Dhamma. He says, Bhaiha Indriya uparameena," Withdrawal of the external senses, seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching. Stop these activities. He says, Sarvato. Uh, viraktaya, vi- turning away from all sides these things come and see not interested even the most amazing things in nature once in the Mediterranean Sea going by ship Nivedita was there Swami Vivekananda it was an amazing moonlit night on the Mediterranean Sea and Nivedita said look how beautiful and Swami Vivekananda immediately said and yet, how much more beautiful must be the self in which to which all this appears? It's because of you, the self, that this beauty you see outside. And that consciousness is experiencing this beauty. And what is the beauty of that? Just think about it. So withdrawing from the external attractions. Then, so in these ways, in the earlier mantra, vairagya had been mentioned, dispassion, Inquiry had been mentioned, viveka. You inquire into your life and then develop Viveka. Viveka, Vairagya have been mentioned. The six-fold treasures have been mentioned. So, um, in these ways, different Upanishads, these qualities are mentioned. They were collected and systematized into the four-fold qualification. Then, um, this mantra says, Enaksharam Purusham Vedasatyam Pravachyatam Tattvato Brahma vidyam. The master will instruct the ready student. That's the duty of the teacher. The teacher, teacher should not refuse to instruct. Shankaracharya says, Niyama, this is the rule. What is the rule? Um, Yet, Nyaya Prapta, sat-shishya, when the student, Sat like Sadguru we say, the true guru, but Sat Shankaracharya says, the true Shishya, the true disciple, when that disciple appears and approaches formally, the way should approach for teaching, uh, nistāranam avidyā mahodadehe. The guru should rescue this student from the ocean of samsāra. Mahodadeh is a great ocean of samsāra. Here in Vedanta, the ocean of samsāra is actually the ocean of ignorance. Ignorance leading to desire, desire leading to karma, and karma leading to the effects of karma. It's an ocean in which we are sinking and rising and floating around, unable to get across. The Guru's job is to rescue us. How will the Guru rescue us? By teaching us this. Um, the, giving us the knowledge which will uh, which will save us. The saving knowledge, the higher knowledge. I have told this in other occasions, but let me just repeat it here. Uh, Swami Tananda, the direct disciple of Sri Ramakrishna, who um, built that San Francisco uh, Hindu temple there. First Hindu temple in America, 1905, 1906. It's still there. It survived the great San Francisco earthquake. It's a heritage building in San Francisco. So anyway, he was in the Vedanta Society of San Francisco. And he was very tough. He would score left and right. And the disciples would often be scared. So, So I guess... Some lady, an American lady must have written about his scolding. We don't have the original letter. We have have his reply. Trigunati Tranji's reply. He writes, Madam, you have taken refuge in me. It is my duty to drag you to the shores of immortality and throw you in there. If on the way I break your bones, I care not. (laughs) See, this is the real Sadguru. He is quite confident of giving you enlightenment, taking you to enlightenment. Only thing is, it's very tough. Yeah. He will make sure you get enlightened, but um, it's like as he says, "I will drag you and throw you into the ocean." It's like you can imagine the bay, the San Francisco, the bay there. It's you can see it from the ashram. You can imagine being dragged into the bay, towards the bay and thrown in there. Um, and if on the way I break your bones, I care not. I care not. This is the uh, the duty of the Guru. You will realize the aksharam. Aksharam means the imperishable. Remember, this was the word used for Brahman in the beginning of this Upanishad. What do you get by paravidya, the higher knowledge? What will it give you? adigamyate By which the akshara, the imperishable is realized. You become the imperishable, or you realize you are the imperishable. Another word is used here. Purusham. This is the word ancient word for the ultimate reality, your real self. And what is the meaning of Purusha? It doesn't mean male. It's not male or female. Each of us in our real nature is that purusha. Shankaracharya here gives the two meanings of Purusha. Purusha purnatvat purnatvaat So it's two meanings. Same word, two aspects. One is purusha is purishayana, that which rests in the city of nine gates, in this city of the body, that which rests the self, you, you the conscious self. The second meaning of purusha is the same purusha, purnatvat purusha. That self is not, it's purnam, it's complete, it's full, it's infinite. It's not oneself and separate from everybody else. Not that everybody, each one of us has a separate Purusha within us. Or we are a separate Purusha. No, that's Sankhya. Vedanta says that Purusha is purna, Purnam. So we are all the same Purusha, the same self. We are all one reality. Not only we are all one reality. The entire universe, these bodies, bodies, prana, all of these minds, all of them are also that Purusha. Their appearance is the radiance of that Purusha. And that limitless Purusha you are. Where is it? So what is it? It's limitless. It's Purnam. Where is it? Purishayanath. In that very body, in that very mind, that very person, that very consciousness which you are. It seems to be limited. When you investigate it, you will see it is unlimited. You seem to be limited. When you investigate, you will see you are unlimited. And that's freedom. That's enlightenment and freedom. Purishayana purusha, Turnatva Purusha. Okay, done. Let's see. Comments quickly. Aditya says, If Vedanta is not meant to be missionary, why did Vivekanthi begin teaching it to the masses? Certain need to do society had prompted him to do so. Yes. So this is the democratic age. It's the age of the masses. Vivekanthi said his mission is the Vedanta which was confined to a few monks and scholars, he would broadcast it to the world. The Vedanta which was limited to the forests, he would bring it to the cities of the world. So it's not just Vedanta. Notice, every kind of knowledge has become democratized now. And now even more so with the internet and everything. Every knowledge is available to everybody. So this is the age in which all knowledge will be available. So to a little bit extent, it has become missionary. To a little bit, the balance is important. Uh, So, yes, my lectures and Vedanta lectures will be advertised on the website. But that's it. I'm not going to claim that you have to come here. I'm not going to persecute you in the name of Vedanta. (laughs) Only if you want. It's open and uh, it depends on the desire of the student. Because it's so subtle and powerful. Um, It's sort of degrading to, to push this in the marketplace. It has to be kept pristine and let people approach it when they are ready. And thank God Vivekananda did that because <laughs> that's why we are all here. Sangeeta says, uh, thank you very much for stating that, any conversion ideology coerced or forced is clear to, it comes from a deep sense of insecurity, tribalistic goals, nothing spiritual. Yes. Not even, not forced, not coerced also. Even ordinary, free, freely converting, even that, Tremendous effort which is put in, without forcing anybody, but the marketing which is put into it. You are allocating huge amounts of money, large numbers of the members of your church, to go out and keep on converting people, without any force also. Even that is not good. That is also very damaging. Abhijit says, thank you very much for pointing out the two important subtle implications of Jagat Mithyatwa. Jiva Brahiva Napara, how it fits into this implication? Yes. That's the direct statement of the Mahavakya. Tattvamasi. You are that. The Tattvamasi becomes meaningful only when Brahma Satyam Jagat mithya. Otherwise, if the world is true, the body is also true. Then the individual person is also true. Then you are this person. Then your relationship to with you will have a relationship with Brahman. Brahman is the master, I am the servant Brahman is my god, I am the devotee You cannot say honestly I am Brahman At the most you might be able to say I am a tiny part of Brahman Vishishtadvaita But advaita, non-dual identity Requires that the world becomes an appearance and Then Anu says we can get a brief taste Of being centered in atma it does not last Mind wants to revert to its usual supports The extent to which we can withdraw Yes, the extent to which we can withdraw senses and all of that is related to depth of centeredness. No, the depth of centeredness depends upon the cultivation of these fourfold qualifications. One of the greatest teachers of Vedanta, Advaita Vedanta in the modern age told me, if you have cultivated the fourfold qualifications and you listen to Vedanta and you study Vedanta, think about it, you will attain enlightenment. If you have not Sufficiently cultivated the fourfold qualifications, and you listen to Vedanta and study Vedanta, at most you will feel you have learnt a very nice philosophy. The same teaching, it can lead to enlightenment or it can lead to a nice understanding, but no, you know, the goal will not be attained. That I have transcended suffering. Um, lo and behold, I have attained the goal of human life, I attained enlightenment. That will not happen. You will feel that, I learnt a very nice philosophy, which is not a small thing, but it's much smaller than what could have been attained. (laughs) All right. Somebody, I will not say who, that can you also drag us and throw us into the ocean of immortality? No, that requires a tremendous amount of power, uh, which we, ordinary people, we lack. We can... Uh, teach, we benefit by the teaching ourselves and it also benefits others around us. Um, we can pray for the welfare of others. All of us can do that. But actually uh, taking full responsibility for somebody and taking them to the threshold of enlightenment and Trigunath Ji says throwing them into the ocean of immortality that only full Jivan Muktas and very powerful masters can do. Oh Shanti 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 Om Ramakrishna Let me just say uh, I heard one Sadhu put it very nicely What is the importance he said of Bhakti of Japa He said repeating the man- Japa mantra He's talking about Advaita Vedanta What we are studying right now He said he is very colloquial in Hindi um, um, bolat katheen, samjata katheen, sadhana kathin. he said it is expressed in a difficult way in difficult philosophical Sanskrit so that's difficult the text itself is difficult next to understand it and grasp Vedanta is difficult it's so subtle and third the practice of it is also difficult then these three difficulties how do you overcome the preparation and he says the easiest way to get the fourfold qualifications, which is necessary easiest way is the repetition of the, um, the name of God, mantra, which we can do. Do masses of mantra, you will see all these qualifications coming up automatically in your life, fourfold qualifications. That's a good point to end on.